Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you today. Okay. So, Bree went to all the hard work in putting up the slide. So, I had to continue using it. <laughs> I won't leave it up for long, though. I don't want to torture her. I know she's not happy with it. But it's on theme. So, my psalm and song that I'm going to be going over today um, in this theme that we're doing is Mary's Magnificat, Mary's Song. But really what I'm going to do is just kind of expand out from there because sometimes we can get through the whole Christmas season and not actually read the story of Jesus' birth and, and dwell there a little bit. So we're going we're gonna to back out a bit and talk about um, Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and um, and Jesus's birth, but we'll we'll take a good pause at um, Mary's song and go through that a little bit this morning. Um, so, um, Bethany, can you just give me a blank slide there? Um, thank you. I'll let you know when I need to go back up. So I don't have a lot of slides today because I just want us to kind of think on the story of Jesus's birth. We see a lot of pictures and paintings and Christmas cards and and um, even just some traditions that we may think about um, the birth of Jesus, some things that actually aren't even in Scripture. And so today, instead of a lot of pictures and things, and there's just a lot of verses we're going through, I just kept it simple. And um, so... Uh, we're not going to have as many slides up there. So you'll just have to have to listen, have to imagine, and um, think about it, and hopefully it'll be clear enough. So in um, the book of Luke, um, starting in chapter 1, Luke um, is he's writing the account, his account, and the book of Acts, which goes right along with it, as um, history. And so as any good history writer, um, you know, he's arranging things in a way um, led by the Holy Spirit in uh, ways that you'll understand, ways that helps you to make connections. And what he's doing is making connections to the Old Testament. And he's wanting to let us know that everything that's happened in the Old Old Testament, everything that Jesus, or excuse me, that Yahweh's been doing is now coming into fulfillment. And so, um, and he's wanting to emphasize how Jesus has fulfilled the Hebrew scriptures. So what he starts out doing is uh, talking about the birth of John the Baptist. And he says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God and observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So right away, Luke is trying to make this connection to the Old Testament. So who else do we think of when we think of they're very old and they are without child? Abraham and Sarah. BJ's been talking a lot about, had been talking a lot about Abraham this fall. So immediately he's giving us this Old Testament uh, echo right here with um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this is what the Lord is doing. Luke is writing this down, but this is what the Lord is doing. As Jonathan mentioned last week, it has these, uh, these rhythms, these connections, these echoes that 
um, Yahweh does all throughout the story, things that repeat. So this is repeating again. So to be childless, um, like Zechariah and Elizabeth were, that was um, socially and uh, economically disastrous. You know, it was often looked down upon if you didn't have a child, like maybe you um, had sin in your life. Um, Jewish men were uh, advised to, that they could uh, divorce their wife if she wasn't able to give them a child so that they could marry someone that could to carry on their line. And, um, you know, if they didn't have a child, if they didn't have especially a son, you know, they might not have someone to help support them economically when they're old. So it was, it was an important thing to them. So once when Zechariah's division, because he was a priest, was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, um, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple uh, of the Lord and burn incense. So there were a lot of priests. So when it was their time to come to the temple to serve, they, uh, they were chosen by lot, you know, drawing straws. Who gets to go in and burn the incense so that you don't smell the flesh of burning animals um, during sacrifice? And so uh, Zechariah was chosen to go and do this. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. This is a pretty common thing all through the Bible when we hear about angels appearing to people, that they're gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So there's this parallel here that John is going to have this Nazarite vow, which is similar to Samson, um, whose mother also wasn't able to have a child, and she prayed for a child. So there's a similarity. Um, and in ancient Judaism, it's you know viewed that the Holy Spirit will be on him before he's born, and that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. So he will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's telling Zechariah, your child will be the one that will prepare the way for the Lord. He's telling, you know, there's these, so Zechariah, he's a priest. Well, all of the Jewish people, they've been waiting for this Messiah to come. They've been praying for the Messiah to come for years and years and years, just as we wait for Jesus to come again. They were waiting for the deliverer to come the first time. So there's this, this thing like, can it be? Can this really be? Can this really be happening? So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Well, first of all, you could probably be sure of it because an angel is standing right there telling you that this thing is going to happen. Um, and, but Zechariah is asking for a sign. Uh, just like Abraham and Gideon and others had asked for a sign. And um, so the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah asks for a sign, and he gets one. He's going to be completely mute until the baby is born. And so that's his assurance that that is... um, that his wife is actually going to have a baby. And maybe it's harsher than other people that have asked for a sign because it's such a serious thing and God is like really getting his attention. Like this is, I'm doing something and this is big. Um, so let's see, sorry, lost my place. Um, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah outside. There were all the people gathered to pray And uh, wondering why he stayed in the temple for so long. Usually they just go in, light the incense, you know, maybe bow before the Lord. um, And then they would be right back out. Um, So, you know, they're wondering what's going on. Um, Did he dishonor the Lord? You know, is, has he dropped dead? What is going on in there? Um, When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. So he was still there. We don't know how early in his two weeks, you know, that he was there serving. So, um, but then he returned home, or before he became mute. So then he returns home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And she says, uh, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So this is similar to um, Rachel in the Old Testament when she says, God has removed my reproach. Um, and it's, it's often a praise in the Bible when barren women are able to have children. So now we move on to the birth of Jesus being foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So let's pause there for a moment. Um, So Nazareth was this little town on a hill. It was secluded, kind of away. Um, It was just, it was kind of considered insignificant. Um, So you're going to see this, also this theme through the, the story that we're doing today, and it's God's kingdom, of, of him using humble places and lifting up the humble. And um, so, you know, he's going to Nazareth, this little, this little town, and he's going to this young woman. Um, so, uh, so Gabriel went to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, The virgin's name was Mary. So Mary was probably a teenager. She could have been as young as 14 years old. Um, And because Joseph was of David's line um, and Jesus would be his legal son, Jesus could qualify for being of this royal line of David. Um, And uh, yeah, so we'll move on from there. Um, So the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So um, greetings were normal, 
rank and status may have been in someone's greeting, um, but something like greetings to you who are highly favored might be more given to somebody that has more authority, someone you know of high of high rank. And so she is kind of taken aback, like, what kind of greeting is this? I'm just a humble girl, you know, teenager living in Nazareth. Um, who are you? It, it's it's interesting, though, that she, they don't write immediately that she was struck with fear, like Zechariah was. And there's a lot of um, contrasting done here with the story of Zechariah and the story of Mary. And Luke has them kind of going back and forth. We go from Zechariah to Mary to, you know, back and forth again. So there's just this contrast. Um, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Um, So... Uh, The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Mary asked a question. Zechariah asked a question. Mary's question wasn't one of disbelief. Mary's question is more of one like, so how exactly is this going to happen? Because I've never been with a man. And um, so, you know, can you can you tell me how this is going to happen? So there, there wasn't any doubt in her asking questions. And the Holy Spirit says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. The point here that God is making is that um, that God who acted for Elizabeth, as he did for Sarah, could still do anything. And he is going to do that for um, Mary as well. And I guess in that way, that's kind of a sign for Mary too, is that um, he's done this great thing for Elizabeth. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So Mary expresses her willingness to do this thing that the Lord um, would like to do and carry his son, um, and she expresses her submission to the Lord. Um, So next, Mary goes and she visits Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. So um, Judea uh, is south. It's about 80 to 100 miles um, we don't usually, you know, this is just a sentence. We don't usually think too much about that, but Mary probably didn't go to Elizabeth's travel there on her own. It would have been really dangerous for a young woman to travel there on her own. So it could be that she had others um, go with her on the way, or she traveled with a caravan or something like that. Um, but she, uh, she had made this travel to go and spend time with Elizabeth. There she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke and Acts, when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak. And um, 
And so in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Elizabeth pronounces a blessing upon Mary, prompted by the Holy Spirit. She blesses Mary for her faith in believing God's word. She blesses Mary and the fruit of her womb, her baby, because it's the work of God in her. And, um, and she celebrates the fact that her own baby is leaping in her um, and full of the Holy Spirit. So um, there's this connection with Mary and Elizabeth because they're both experiencing this surprising work of God. And just showing again that God is about to do something big, that he's moving, that he's fulfilling his promises. So next we come to Mary's song. It's traditionally called the Magnificat um, because in Latin it means magnifies. And those are the first words in her song. So just very simply of that. Um, Mary's song, it reflects the Psalms. Mary had to have known um, some scripture. You know, they, they told stories all the time. They're repeating the Psalms. They're, they're repeating the stories of old. And so she brings those into her, um, her song, which is really just the psalm of thanksgiving. Um, so let's go ahead and um, we'll go ahead and read it, actually. I have, Bethany, could you put the slide back up? Because I did put this one on a slide. So Mary says, um, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful or has had regard for the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So her lowliness, her insignificance, um, how is it that God should choose her? This is what she's saying here. She's from this little town. She's just an ordinary girl, this ordinary peasant girl, and yet God has high regard for her. He's lifting up the lowly. Um, and it's true. We still count her blessed today. Um, for the mighty, verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So here, Mary alludes to Psalm 103.17, which says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. Um, So this emphasizes God's faithfulness in spite of human frailty to those who fear him. Mary recognizes that God has done great things for her, and... um, The work of God is not just for Mary, but for all that fear the Lord. And Mary is just one example here of how God works for his people. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, the thoughts of their hearts. Um, So uh, this is language of vindication. It's used in the Old Testament, reminds us of when Um, Yahweh brought the people out of Egypt. He brought them out with his mighty arms, uh, his mighty arms. So it's here referring um, to God acting to rescue his people. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
Um, so just as we've been talking about um, this example of God lifting up the humble. Uh, 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Sorry. Just as he's promised our ancestors. So God had promised to be faithful to his people Israel forever because of the eternal covenant he had made um, by oath with Abraham. Abraham is the beginning of this whole rescue plan. And uh, through the offspring of Abraham, offspring of Abraham, there will be blessing for all the earth. So um, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Um, Bethany, you can give me a blank slide again. Thank you. So. Um, sorry, I'm going to take a drink. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth, um, verse 56, for about three months and then returned home. So Mary very well could have been there for the birth of John the Baptist because Elizabeth was about six months along when Mary had got there, and then Mary stayed for three months, so she may have been there for that. Um, but then she heads back home, and uh, Luke, chap- or Luke, verse 57, chapter 1, um, then goes back and talks about the birth of John the Baptist, which we'll just go over quickly. Um, so when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name was often common to name a child after their grandfather or sometimes their father. And the father had ultimate say in naming the child and not the mother, which is why they now turn to the father. Uh, verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. So immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. So people were seeing, God is doing something. God is doing something here. What is going on? And then we um, go on and... um, to Zechariah's song, and, uh, you know, there's this contrast here again about Mary's humble faith and elevation, and then because of Zechariah's doubt, um, you know, he had this lowering of status by becoming mute. Um, So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies. um, I'm not going to go into all of that because for time's sake, Um, but um, his prophecy has these echoes, um, you know, the same echoes of the Psalms uh, from the Old Testament. And uh, he prophesies about the coming uh, Messiah. He prophesies about his son um, leading the way for the Messiah. 
and um, and all of these things. And then in verse 80, it says that the child, meaning John the baptizer, he grew and became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared, appeared publicly to Israel. So then we go on to Luke 2, which is the birth of Jesus. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So this was a tax census that was happening, and because they had to, um, uh, um, Caesar Augustus was, he was a new Caesar. He was the one that um, took over for, um, um, oh goodness, now my mind was blank. Yes, thank you. Julius Caesar. Um, so he was the one that ended up, after some uprisings and things, he was the one that took over for Julius Caesar. So he wants to know what is going on and who he's, you know, how many people he has, and so that he can start this whole taxation um, properly. So um, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So it's possible that Joseph owned property in Bethlehem or his family owned property in Bethlehem. Um, and so that's why they had to travel there. Um, and it's maybe Joseph knew the prophecy from Micah 5.2 about the Messiah coming from Bethlehem. And Micah 5.2 says, but you, Bethlehem, um, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. So it could be that Mary and Joseph are thinking, um, like, okay, so there's a strange thing already happening. We're having to go back to Bethlehem. Okay, you know, what is going on? God is really moving here. So um, he went to, uh, he, meaning Joseph, went to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So um, kind of pause here for a second. We often think about them going from end to end and trying to find a place and, you know, them turning him away and uh, they have to uh, stay in this barn. But it's very possible that, you know, they were going back to Bethlehem. People were hospitable that um, they, you know, maybe there wasn't room in the family's house that they were staying at for her to give birth. And so she had to give birth out um, in the stable, which really was possibly a cave behind the house, or um, a lot of times the house was lifted up and the stable, um, the barn was underneath the house. Uh, so, you know, it it could be that that is how, um, how it happened, but it's probably not an inn, but that there wasn't um, a guest room available uh, at the home for them to stay. Um, and uh, so she gave birth. Uh, we often think about, you know, you see in Christmas cards just her and Joseph 
all by themselves there. And it's possible, maybe Joseph delivered the baby, um, but it's very likely that midwives came and helped to deliver this child, especially with it being her first baby. Um, you know, a midwife would be there to to help. So they most likely weren't on their own with the birth. Um, Joseph didn't have to do this new thing all by himself. And then she wrapped the baby in cloths. And the cloths, you know, I've heard different things. It could be um, the the cloths that they wrapped newborn lambs in, um, which is a neat thought uh, because of Jesus being this lamb. Um, also, cloths were used uh, sometimes to straighten out the limbs of children um, so that they would grow properly. And so it could have been some of that or both. Uh, but... Uh, that was kind of what was going on there. So, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. So here we go. We continue with this humble thing. So we've had this uh, family, the birth of our Savior happening in this humble barn beginning. And then it goes out to these shepherds, these humble shepherds who were not thought highly of. Um, you know, being out in the fields all the time, they couldn't participate in regular uh, religious uh, rituals there and gatherings. Um, also, the shepherds, we often think of them as these old people, um, but they were probably um, young people, maybe 10 to 12 years old. You know, think about King David when he was a boy, he was a shepherd boy living in the field. So there may have been an older shepherd that overseen them, but they were young people that were out there. Um, so again, so it's not even an older person of status. It's a younger person um, that would have been out there. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. So they're getting a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the good news, the good news of salvation, that the king and his kingdom that they've been waiting for, the redeemer, the savior is coming, um, that peace is coming, reconciliation. And this is also in contrast to um, the king of the day. So, you know, they would have big public birthday celebrations for Caesar, and uh, they would call this good news, you know, the good news of our king. Um, And so God is using that and saying, no, this is the good news, the king that is coming. And, um, And it has this contrast of the true king, you know, being in this manger um, where animals eat. So suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And um, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So this announcement of the new king coming wasn't in the temple um, where the priests were. It wasn't um, given to kings or higher up. It was given, uh, again, to these shepherds out in the field, these humble shepherds. So the shepherds went to Bethlehem. 
They may have, it was a small town as well, so they may have asked around where did a new birth, you know, uh, where's a new baby? We hear there's a new baby. Or they looked around in all the stables until they found um, Mary and Joseph and the baby. Um, So verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So it could be that the shepherds, well, probably that the shepherds went back out and told a bunch of people, but they probably told everybody that was there um, uh, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, and maybe some family that was there as well, um, about these angels that just came and told us about what was going to happen. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just which were just as they had been told. And then Luke chapter 2 goes on to talk about what Jonathan talked about last week, um, with Jesus being taken to the temple. So um, this whole first start in, um, in the book of Luke, as I said, it's uh, Luke's account of what Yahweh is doing and how he is moving, and how he is lifting up the humble. And um, and that is what Jesus does this whole time that he's on earth, and what, um, and what the Lord wants us to continue to do today, which is lifting up the outcast, lifting up the lowly, lifting up people that don't have um, high status, and um, loving all people, and not thinking too highly of ourselves, but being humble ourselves. So that is the humble beginnings of God, uh, of Jesus, and um, and this at this time we remember that he probably wasn't. We we know that he wasn't born in the winter. Even just having the shepherds there out at night shows that the weather was warmer and nicer. So it could have been in the fall. Some people think in the spring, but um, this is the time when we remember that. So I know that was a little bit longer today, but thank you for bearing with me. I just sometimes we can make it through the whole season and not having actually read the account of our Lord and Savior that we are to be celebrating this time of year. Um, so let's go ahead and pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your upside-down kingdom. We thank you that you do things differently than how the world does things. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you for teaching us your ways when you, are he- you were here. And we thank you for dying and raising again and that we have new life in you. Lord, I just ask that you would show us how to live the way that you lived. That we would give honor to the humble, to low, those of low regard, that that would be, and it's what should be from the church, that that would be um, a sign that we lift others up, that we care for those in need, that we see all people just as you see us. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And, Lord, I just pray as we go through this next week leading up to Christmas celebrations, Lord, that we would just remember all that you did for us 
and the humble beginnings of you, Lord Jesus, here on earth and the fulfillment of your promises from long ago. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to be part of all of this and we thank you for the promises that you've made us and the promises that are yet to come. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.